0: God speaks, Daniel chapter 4, to us. Let's ask him to be at work. Father, please do, as we hear these words, please do work in us by your spirit that uh, we would trust you, the speaker, uh, accept and trust that things are the way you say they are, that we'd see how knowing you as you are, knowing ourselves as we are before you, uh, knowing those around us as they are before you, that we'd see how we ought to live as we wait for the glorious day your Son appears. We ask it in him. Amen. The first people who read Daniel knew about Babylon. (laughs) <laughs> they knew all too much about Babylon. They'd lived through the siege of Jerusalem, its defeat, their exile, or their parents or grandparents had lived through all of that. Years have passed and a new superpower rules. Now it's the Medes and Persians as Daniel writes. Now they force their rule on Judah. So still in exile or back in Jerusalem the Jews who read Daniel when it was first written they lived under foreign rulers who worshipped foreign gods. They were tempted to read their history as a story of how God let them down. How God has failed them. How God is failing them. Nebuchadnezzar's story helps them read their own story. Far from failing them, God has been humbling them. Daniel as a whole and Daniel chapter 4 show them reality. God reveals what's really going on and what, what really was going on in their, in their history, what really is going on. God reveals his patience. God reveals his power. His power to turn hard hearts. God speaks the same word to us thousands of years later. Uh, We have the benefit of uh, seeing his eternal rule uh, brought in through the Lord Jesus. But still others rule. Still other influences influence us. Mostly we'd rather have the easy path, uh, the one where everything goes our way. When things do go well, it's easy to think we did well, to congratulate ourselves. When things fall apart, it's easy to wonder if God has let us down. Was God not able to act? Or maybe why did God act that way? How does Nebuchadnezzar's story help us read our story? Well, we better look at his story first. The book of Daniel uh, began with Nebuchadnezzar defeating Jerusalem. Chapter 1, verse 2 says, The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into Nebuchadnezzar's hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. But Nebuchadnezzar didn't see that He thought his gods had beaten their God, that he had beaten their God. He brought back the best of Jerusalem's youth to train at the University of Babylon so they could serve him. At the end of their training, Nebuchadnezzar ran a quick quiz for his newest wise men. Chapter 1 tells us that four teenagers from Judah did ten times better than Babylon's wisest wise men. That was the quick quiz. Chapter two was the real life test. Nebuchadnezzar asked his wise men to tell him the storyline of a dream he dreamed, and the meaning of that dream. And all the Babylon, all Babylon's wise men got scored zero. Daniel from Judah got a hundred percent. He told the dream's storyline and the dream's meaning. He insisted it was God in heaven, not him, who revealed the secrets. Then in chapter 3, we saw Nebuchadnezzar really didn't like his dream story and meaning. He didn't like to think of himself as a gold head that would be replaced. He'd rather see gold, gold head to fate that will never be replaced. But the other three from Judah wouldn't go along with this story. They wouldn't buy to the image he set up because of their God and their God brought them safely through superheated flames. Nebuchadnezzar saw it. He knew God did it. But at the end of chapter 3 he still saw the living and true God not just as God but as their God not his God. He insisted no one say anything against their God. But at the end of chapter 3, Nebuchadnezzar is still curious but not yet committed. Interested but not yet invested. That changes in chapter 4. So in chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar himself tells a story. Verse 1, this superpower king of the world tells his story to the world he rules. He talks about them as all peoples, nations and languages that dwell in all the earth. Everyone everywhere hears him say, end of verse 1, peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. The story he tells is about what God has shown him. God has shown it with signs and wonders. Now, thinking back chapter 2-3, the details of that secret dream being revealed, the impossible deliverance of three men from superheated flames, those aren't actually the signs he has in mind. You'd think that either of them and both of them would be enough. But Nebuchadnezzar isn't talking about those. Those got his curiosity, those got his interest, but that's all. He's about to tell us about something that did more. Chapters 2 and 3, he talked about them and their God and what their God did for them. Now he talks about what the Most High God has done for him, shown him. Now he says, verse 3, how great are the Most High God's signs, how mighty his wonders His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion endures from generation to generation. No, it's not a new lesson. It's what we've been hearing and what he's been hearing. He's heard Daniel explain that the stone smashing that multi-metal image, uh, what it meant, chapter 2, verse 44. Daniel told the king, The God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed and never be left to another people. It shall stand forever this isn't a new lesson. What's new is who is saying it. What's new is Nebuchadnezzar, the king of superpower Babylon, saying this about the Most High God. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion endures from generation to generation. He's saying that about the God of tiny little Judah. And his city tied a little Jerusalem. What's moved him from curiosity and interest to commitment and investment? Well, the actual story starts in verse four. Nebuchadnezzar had another dream. Life was good, Nebuchadnezzar was at ease and prospering, all was well. Until the dream. The dream made him afraid. The things he saw and remembered alarmed him. In verses six and seven, we see how little he learned from his chapter two experience. He tries what didn't work last time. He calls magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers, the same ones who couldn't help him uh, with the multi-image dr- metal dream, sorry, multi-metal image dr- dream. He skips the tell me the dream step. I guess he's learned that that doesn't work. But even with this storyline, Mystic Meg Endigo and the rest of the psychic advisors can't help. They can't tell him what the dream means. So his old approach fails. So he remembers the lesson. Uh, The one that got him, that got him saying to Daniel uh, in chapter 2 verse 47, truly your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and the revealer of mysteries. For you have been able to reveal this mystery. Now he remembers that lesson. Now he acts on that lesson and tells Daniel the dream. The first scene, verse 9 onwards, uh, the first scene is beautiful. It's so peaceful. He sees a huge tree in the middle of the earth. It's, It's big and it grows bigger. Its great branches and green leaves grow until they touch the sky, until they touch heaven. It's so tall that it can be seen from everywhere on earth. It has beautiful leaves and plenty of fruits, enough to feed everyone and everything. It's tall and wide. Animals shelter under it. Birds live in it. Humans feed from it. Everything feeds from it. Can you imagine how big and high and wide? It's not a tree as big as a skyscraper. It's a tree as big as the biggest city. Bigger. It's big enough to be home and farm, shelter and food source for all the animals and birds and people on earth. It's big enough to blur the line between what's earthly and what's heavenly. As it reaches up to heaven. It's a beautiful, peaceful, providing tree. I guess that's not the bit of the dream that had Nebuchadnezzar afraid and alarmed. The scene shifts in verse 13. Nebuchadnezzar sees a watcher, a holy one, an angel, I guess. Uh, because he comes down from heaven with a message from heaven. He says, verse 14. Chop down the tree and lop off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts flee from under it and the birds from its branches. Are you seeing the desolation? This mega city-sized tree with branches that stretched out high and wide is gone. Home and farm, shelter and food source for a world of animals and birds and people, gone. All that's left is its stump. The command in verse 15 is to leave this stump with its roots. Now normally if you leave a stump with its roots, it will start to grow branches again. But not this one, because it's bound up and tied with iron and bronze. It cannot grow again. All that's left of the tree that sheltered the earth and its inhabitants is the stump in a paddock full of grass. Listen to what the watcher says next. He's been saying, make the tree a stump. Then halfway through verse 15, he talks about a person. He says him, his. Let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beasts in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from a man's and let a beast's mind be given to him and let seven periods of time pass over him. Why is the huge tree cut down? Why does this person lose his mind and act like an animal? It's so that, verse 17, the living may know. So that humans may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of man and gives it to whom He will and sets over it the lowliest of men. Have you got the picture, heard the words? <laughs> At the end of the dream, the tree is still standing. It still shelters and feeds everyone and everything. But a warning has been spoken. Its future fall and the reason it will fall have been announced. Verse 18, Nebuchadnezzar says to Daniel, this is the dream and I need you to tell me what it means because all the wise men of Babylon are not able to make known to me the interpretation. Now we've heard it, I don't know why they couldn't tell him or at least give him a good idea of where the dream was heading. The king who rules the whole earth dreams about a tree that hosts the whole earth. The king hears an announcement about about how that tree will be cut down to size. The announcement blurs into a warning about a man being humiliated. And it must happen so that people will know that the most high God rules all peoples and places and the lowliest, the lowest of men are given the positions of authority. You kind of wonder, what is it that they couldn't work out? Perhaps they could see where it was going, but they're a bit worried about what would happen if they said where it was going. They didn't dare tell. Daniel does tell. He's just made and alarmed himself in verse 19. Uh, maybe because he's not sure what will happen to him if he tells. Maybe because he's actually concerned for his king. Remember the huge tree stretching up to heaven and out to give shelter and food for everyone and everything on earth. The huge tree is a picture of the king's greatness. He's the most high human. Verse 22, It is you, O king, who have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches to heaven and your dominion to the ends of the earth. So far it's a welcome message. Beautiful message. That's second to say not so much. A messenger from heaven saying, chuck down the tree, tie the stump, let the human eat like an animal, eat like an animal to so seven times pass over him. Daniel explains, verse 24, it is a decree of the Most High which has come upon my Lord the King that you shall be driven from among men and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven and seven periods of time shall pass over you till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. See, Nebuchadnezzar defeated Jerusalem because God gave it to him. Actually, Nebuchadnezzar ruled Babylon, this city, and Babylon, the empire, because God gave it to him. But Nebuchadnezzar doesn't see it yet. God is going to bring him low until he does see that everything he has has been given to him. Daniel urges the king to take a shortcut. To hear the warning and change right now, verse 27, Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. Living under Nebuchadnezzar's rule wasn't beautiful for everyone. Uh, Daniel's hinting here at what the watchers watched, sins and iniquities, unrighteousness, merciless oppression, Nebuchadnezzar ruled as if he was the ultimate ruler with no one above him. As if there was no God above. Nebuchadnezzar answered to no one on earth. But the watchers watched. God saw. Nebuchadnezzar has been warned. He's been warned in a dream that barely needs explanation and the dream has been explained. So what will he do? It seems he just put it out of his mind or eventually put it out of his mind. He found it more comfortable just to forget it. Verse 29, 12 months later, he was in the city he had built basking in his brilliance. At the time, no city was bigger or grander than Babylon. That kind of little, old gold statue, it was a quick construction to give some idea of Nebuchadnezzar's power and rule. The enormous city of Babylon, it is his lifetime achievement. It showcases his grandeur and glory. The king sees the city and he sees it as a monument to himself. He enjoys saying to himself, verse 30, Is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? While he's speaking, God in heaven says to Nebuchadnezzar, the kingdom has departed from you. And you shall be driven from, from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. And you, you shall be made to eat grass like an ox. And seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. God says it, and it is so. Straight away, the man who ruled all people is driven out from among people. In a moment he goes from being the most high human to being out among the animals. Eating grass like an ox. Out in the open wet with dew of heaven. He's like that until his hair grows as long as the eagle's feathers and his nails are like bird's claws. Verse 32 says seven times, it's probably seven years. The once highest human is now almost just another animal below all the humans. It even begins to look like an animal. So much for his glory and majesty. But remember why God did this. How long God said he would do it for At the end of verse 32, it's until Nebuchadnezzar knows that the Most High rules the kingdom of man and gives it to whom he will. And when the time has passed, verse 34, Nebuchadnezzar sees. He lifts his eyes to heaven. His reason returns to him. He stops acting like an animal. He stops thinking as if he's a self-made man. He sees reality. Just a few verses ago, he was looking at Babylon and uh, thinking how wonderful he was. Now, seven years later, he sees reality. He sees how wonderful God in heaven is. He blesses the Most High God. He praises and honors him who lives forever. Why does he bless and praise and honor God? Because, verse 34 Last two lines. <clears throat> God's dominion, His dominion is an everlasting dominion and His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing and He does according to His will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none shall stay His hand or say to Him, what have you done? Nebuchadnezzar's perspective on reality has been broken and rebuilt. Now he sees how things really are. Gone is the thought that his his rule and his city display his glory. Now he sees everything he has, has been given by God. The one God, the most high. The one God who rules everyone, everywhere. On earth and in heaven. Heaven. Now he sees God is God and he is not. Now he sees God rules now and always. In verse 36 Nebuchadnezzar's rule goes back to how it was before but better. His kingdom is even greater. The trees even bigger. But now he sees. Now he sees what he didn't see before. It was given. Given by the living and true God. Now the king whose rule stretches out over all the earth praises and extols and honours the king of heaven. Because all his works are right and his ways are just and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. Nebuchadnezzar's story tells us God's absolute power and shows us God's incredible patience. Nebuchadnezzar thought he was the most high human because of his brilliance. Uh, We watch God take the most high human and put him basically below human, out among the animal's lowest, and then bring him back to the top again. We see God in his absolute power. But also in the process, God has been persuading Nebuchadnezzar. He patiently persuaded Nebuchadnezzar. He's persuaded the king. Dig Nebuchadnezzar's story helped Old Testament Jews read their own story far from failing them in their recent history of exile and some of them still in exile. God has been humbling them. Their time in exile uh, and captivity had a purpose. God's hand was heavy on them. They did suffer, but he brought them low for a reason. His purpose was to bring them to repentance. To teach them His absolute power and His power to save. That they might trust Him. How does Nebuchadnezzar's story help us read our story? Well, it, it does come to us through the lens of seeing God bring His eternal rule in through the Lord Jesus Christ. We see even more clearly the character of God who rules now and always. We see his loving determination to save even more clearly. How does Nebuchadnezzar's story help us read our story? I'll mention three ways. There'll be others. It challenges our pride. It teaches us to be thankful for hardship. It gives us confidence in God's power to save. Nebuchadnezzar's story challenges our pride. It's helpful to see pride Nebuchadnezzar brought low. His pride in what he achieved looks ridiculous when moments later he's out eating grass with the animals. And then, seven years later, he's brought back and just set it back up the top. Then he knows everything he has has been given by God. You and I need to be clear about that. Everything we have has been given. Our culture, our our, our twisted hearts, tells us to compare ourselves with others to find the category where we kind of feel a bit higher better, worse, faster, slower smarter, dumber, wiser, foolish, um, richer, poorer whatever we think we're better on could be gone in a moment and everything we have has been given Nebuchadnezzar's story challenges our pride. And it teaches us to be thankful for hardship. Perhaps you have a story you could tell about how God has humbled you. Perhaps you can look back and say, that was hard, but God used it to save me. That was difficult and God used it to grow me. Perhaps you're in the middle of it and it's so very helpful to see God patiently teach Nebuchadnezzar and his Old Testament people. This is such a helpful thing for us. I know I've found lots of things hard in the last 10 years or so. And I'm grateful I'm grateful to God for what he's been working in me through those hardships. I'm grateful to our merciful Father for his patient discipline. Nebuchadnezzar wouldn't have chosen seven years eating grass in advance. Looking back, it's really good grass because it came with a really good lesson. It's good for us to look back and say, God, used that, and I'm thankful for it. And to look at now and think, well, what's he doing just now? Nebuchadnezzar's story challenges our pride. It teaches us to be thankful for hardship. And it gives us confidence in God's power to save. Let me put it this way. After hearing Nebuchadnezzar's story of those years and decades and that transformation, do you think there's anyone who is so convinced they don't need God that they will never turn to him? Do you think there's anyone who is so determined to live their way, not God's way, that they will never turn to Christ? Now, don't get me wrong, chapter 5 is coming. We're we're going to see the next king judged when we read chapter 5. God does judge some people. But Nebuchadnezzar's story shows us God is able to save. No one is too difficult. When we ask him to turn people's hearts, we're asking the God who can turn hearts Even the hearts of the most determined rebels is able to save. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that we know you as the God who does not change. That you are the same God who acted centuries and millennia ago. That you continue to act now today. Father please do when we feel self satisfied or proud please do help us to think of Nebuchadnezzar and look to you as the one who's given us, who's made us the way we are, with our privileges in history and our opportunities, that all of it is given. Please humble us. Father, please, as we Endure hardships as we think back on hardships. Please make us thankful to you that you use such things. Help us to see where some of them have been useful, to see the outcome for ourselves, where suffering has produced perseverance and perseverance character, uh, driven us to hope and confidence as we long for the day when there's no more crying or dying, pain or shame. And Father, please, as we have conversations with friends, as we keep praying for people whose hearts are so hard, please keep us confident in your power to save. In the Lord Jesus. Amen.